This podcast is part of the Acast Creator Network. Hey Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombus, we've always said our socks, underwear and t-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombus. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com/acast and use code acast for 20% off your first purchase. A lot can happen in 3 years. Like a chatbot maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly 3 years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello and welcome to The Stand with Amy Dunphy. Now since Vladimir Putin invaded Ukraine and the way he has conducted his invasion, brutality, the crimes against people and indeed the attempt to destroy Ukraine physically, the world has changed. It has been a moment when many things that we took for granted have been crystallised with perhaps answers we didn't expect. It is a real crisis, and in particular, it's been a crisis that Europe has had to face. Under the presidency of Ursula von der Leyen, the president of the EU, the EU has given unstinting support to Ukraine to the point where the question of Ukraine becoming a member of the European Union is now live and supported by many, but not unanimously. And we're joined now from Brussels by Suzanne Lynch. Suzanne is the chief Brussels correspondent for Politico. Suzanne, thank you very much for joining us. The Ukraine war has many dimensions, but it does pose and has posed questions for the European Union that the scale of endeavour required to bring Ukraine into the European Union and also, of course, the European Union's attitude as perhaps reflected in the difference between Ursula von der Leyen and Emmanuel Macron's approach to China, where they were last week, Mm. has been highlighted. Let me ask you first about the scale of taking this massive country into the European Union. How unanimous is the support for that? Well, Eamon, look, great to to be with you again. And you've hit the nail on the head there because I think the issue is that it's not unanimous. Um, You know, it's a time of war. And as you said there, the EU has stepped in. It's it's given a lot of aid to Ukraine. Um, It's it's imposed sanctions on Russia very quickly as it happened. And then this issue of EU membership is now the next issue on the horizon for the EU Now, last June at the EU summit in Brussels, the EU leaders, all 27 of them, agreed to kind of green light the process to to give Ukraine um, membership prospects for the EU. And that was a big deal and was a huge kind of moral support for Ukraine. I mean, Ukraine have been saying from the beginning, we're not just fighting our war, we're we're on the borders of Europe, we're fighting yours as well. Yes. Um, 
But now, you know, the reality of allowing a member to join the EU, what's happened over the last 10, 15 years or so is that there's been a move away in the EU towards enlargement. So we saw successive countries joining the EU. There was a huge wave in 2004. Ten countries joined at that point. And we saw those former Soviet uh, satellites and states coming into the EU, Poland, Lithuania, etc. Um, and But I think since then, there's been enlargement fatigue, some people yes. say. And you've got some very powerful countries, and the one in the driving seat here is France, which um, has been very lukewarm about enlarging the EU anymore. They feel that it's gone far enough. And um, you've got lots of other countries waiting in the wings to join that are on various stages of their negotiations. So you've, that's so that's one of the problems with the EU, that if they were to allow Ukraine in, well, what about all the other countries that are waiting? You know, you've got yes. Serbia, you've got um, Albania, these other, you've got Turkey, actually, which is, all, which, which is technically still in discussions with the EU about joining the EU, even though no one thinks it's going to happen anytime soon. So number one problem is that they would be kind of leapfrogging and the other people in the queue are, will be annoyed about that. They've, they've, they've made that clear. But second of all is this issue that like, do, does the EU really want to expand to Ukraine? Ukraine is a huge country of more than 40 million people. Yes, It's got huge agricultural land. So the, uh, the impact on the common agricultural policy and on cohesion funds, they're the funds that the EU gives poorer member states when they join, Ireland used to get them to bring them up to the EU level. Uh, we're no longer, we're now a net contributor, not a net beneficiary. But, you know, th there'll be huge financial uh, implications there. And what's been very interesting is just in the last, actually, you know, this week is still going on. A lot uh, There's a number of countries in the East, including Poland, Slovakia, and they're having huge issues about imports of Ukrainian grain that's coming into their markets and yes. flooding their markets. And you have uh, farmers in, in Poland, there's a, an election coming up in Poland later this year, um, who are worried about that. So it's kind of the rubber is hitting the road now, I think, with this. That's kind of given a taste of what it could be like if Ukraine was to join. So, and, and ironically, it's the countries have been very supportive of Ukraine, those Eastern countries like Poland. They're the ones now that are facing this reality, this economic reality of, of Ukrainian grain coming in. And the EU is trying to work out a solution to this at the moment. It's, it's proving very, very, very difficult. So I think it's a very good early indication of the kind of issues that would come to fruition if Ukraine was really uh, to join the EU. Yes, and you mentioned the agricultural issue there, which would affect Ireland as well, I imagine. They would be massive exporters mm -hmm. to the European Union in that particular area. But then there is the cohesion funds and the money that you get when you initially enter the European yeah. Union. And, I mean, Ursula von der Leyen, she wrote a cheque, as it were, for $800 billion post the COVID pandemic, we've always had the impression, at least I have, and I think most people, is that Ursula von der Leyen is a rather sort of passive, quiet figure without mm. any real sense of who she is. But mm. I, read a, I read a profile in the Financial Times of her last week. She comes across in this profile as a strong politician steeped in politics. Her father was a very eminent politician. And she also comes across as somebody with a clear vision of where she wants to go. You're very close to it there, Suzanne. Yeah. She has to face an election soon, doesn't she, for her presidency? Mm. What's your view of her? Because she is making a commitment. And for example, she was in China when Macron was there. She was fully supporting Ukraine, and 
she was also warning China to, you know, behave itself and st- stop thinking about Taiwan. At the same time, Emmanuel Macron, president of France, got a much more lavish reception from the Chinese, and he came out to say something that's contrary to American policy and to many of the European countries, that Europe should be careful to interfere in the situation if China invaded Taiwan, which many people believe they will do. And the Americans in particular have been very strong in support of the Taiwanese people. That's a real interesting and worrying split between the president of France and the president of the European Commission. Is it not? Yeah, it, it definitely is. And I mean, that whole visit was quite interesting. Macron effectively invited von der Leyen to come along. Um, and they, her people made the point, look, it, this is not a state visit. He's on a state visit. But it was interesting, actually, what was really interesting was the way the Chinese media covered this. And they saw her as a, a, as a threat because she's been stronger on this issue, as, as you point out. She's been more on the American side when it comes yes. to China, seeing them as more of a threat. And they didn't like that. So um, it, they, it became, instead of unity, they actually projected division, the two of them, and Macron and Yvonne. Yes. So there's a chat now in Brussels about, you know, the, her judgment in going on that trip. Um, although she kind of, it was Macron who came out, I think, more negative ultimately uh, than she did. Um, but she is, I mean, I, she, she's been the head of the European Commission since 2019. And when she was brought in for that job, um, she wasn't that well known. She was a defence minister in Germany and she was a part of Angela Merkel's party. Um, but as it always happens, these top jobs, they come around every five years. You know, the EU leaders kind of decide among themselves. And Macron, actually, it wasn't just Merkel. Macron really backed her. Um, but she has emerged, I think, as a very strong figure. Yes. And one of the issues that is kind of, uh, you know, boring in one sense is, is kind of the, what they call here in Brussels inter-institutional rivalry. Basically, you've, where does the power lie in the EU? You have the European Parliament, you have the Commission, and then you have the European Council. And the head of the European Council is Charles Michel. Yes. And there is well-documented, I've written about it myself, tensions between the two of them about who, you know, who is really running the show. And yeah, and I think, he's, he's quite a serious player, isn't he? He's Belgian. Yeah, he's and he, former he's, Belgian Prime Minister, yeah. you know, and he, he, he's an important job, and his job is to run those summits. But I think she has emerged as a stronger figure, and one reason is is because she has developed a very strong relationship, and I think a personal relationship, with President Joe Biden. Yes. And during what we started talking about here, when the war began, in the run-up to the war, uh, von der Leyen visited Washington and had a meeting in the Oval Office with Joe Biden. And we reported at the time that she, Biden, this was at a time when America was warning Europe about what was coming in Russia, uh, from Russia. And no one was really listening. So Schultz over in Germany was just new after taking over from Merkel. Macron was preparing for an election. And von der Leyen listened. And she and her people started working quietly with the Americans about preparing sanctions, which are very technical and take yes. a lot of work behind the scenes and struck up a good relationship. And then when the war, when the invasion did happen, they were ready to roll then with those sanctions. And I think from that point, the the phrase, it's a great one that I did, it's attributed to Henry Kissinger. Who do you call, you want to call Europe? And it's always a question. If you want to call them at three o'clock in the morning. Yeah, you know, who is it? And and I know from reporting, I was with the Irish Times in Washington, nobody knows, nobody knows the EU really. And what, you know, but, but people are beginning to notice her. 
yes. in Washington. You know, she has now become a much more recognizable figure than Barroso or these people who went before. Now, some of that could be gender. She's the first woman in the commission, head of the commission, and that she's more just, she stands out, you know, she's more recognizable. But she definitely, I think, has um, objectively kind of upped the profile of the European Commission president. Now, a lot of people, um, I think one of the reasons the Americans like her is that she gets stuff done. Yes. Uh, she's efficient. She's a former medical doctor, uh, very efficient. But you hear then criticism about within the European Commission. So she's the top of the European Commission, but you have 27 commissioners in total, including the Irish one, Maureen McGuinness. Um, but you hear people saying around Brussels that she's very controlling, that she kind of just talks to her own top people and, and doesn't include other people. And it's a very top-down management. But other people say, well, look, she gets the job done. And, you know, Jean-Claude Juncker, her predecessor, was a bit more casual and kind of let everybody, you know, you know, consulted with all the commissioners and, and, and didn't really drive it. She's driving it. Yes, and the Polish Prime Minister, for example, just to confirm what you said there, Suzanne, he expressed fears about mission creep in Brussels. That is to say that there was too much top-down management, shall we say. <laughs> yeah, because they feel that the commission has been, it, it's taken a strong line against Poland and Hungary in terms of its own withholding money that's due yes. to them because of their failure to, you know, their, their lack of democratic reforms and the role of the judiciary and those kind of things. So she, she's taken a tough line in that. As you said, she had this big COVID recovery plan. And now with Ukraine, she's very much in the driving seat. So everything from sanctions to this whole thing about EU accession, Ukraine joining the EU, von der Leyen has come out many times and said she's in favour of that. And the commission will come forward with a proposal, but then it'll be the EU member states over across the road where Charles Michel runs that operation. They'll be the people. You see, any, one country can veto it. Every country has to yes. agree and that's going to be a pro. I, I I can imagine that's going to be a problem ultimately with Ukraine. So she has definitely emerged a strong figure. Now the, the, her problem though is we're now about a year out from the European elections, and next year there will be a reshuffling of all these jobs. So there's lots of speculation about will she stay? Could she go for another job? Um, maybe the head of NATO is up, and the Americans would have a big role there. Yes. Uh, so. Lots of speculation now, the, the, but the, the interesting uh, crinkle in all this is when she was appointed back in 2019, her own government party, uh, the Christian Democrats, Angela Merkel's party was in power. Now they're not. So yes. She's kind of like an opposition figure for Olaf Scholz. But it's seemingly it, what we're hearing from Berlin is that the German government basically are going to back her. If she, if you know, they, they, it's better to have one of their own in yes, as the head of the commission, of ultimately, uh, you know. So it, it remains to be seen, you know, if she goes for, for a second time. But I'd say she'll have the support if she does. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. 
They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plushcare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The interference or the intervention by Emmanuel Macron is potentially lethal. I'm sure you'd agree, Suzanne. It would pit France against Europe, against the US. And the US has made very firm commitments about Taiwan and indeed Australia, Japan, South Korea. All of those countries have intimated because, strictly speaking, they have observed the one China idea. But Mm. Joe Biden has said four times in public that the United States would interfere militarily if China made a move on Taiwan. And yet here you have Emmanuel Macron, and I can quote him, he's saying, we need to be very careful of interfering if anything happens between China and Taiwan, which is a direct contrast to Ursula von der Leyen's position, more importantly, to the position of Joe Biden. Yeah, absolutely. These comments were made actually to a colleague of mine on the way back from this Beijing trip. And yeah, the fact that, I mean, Macron, you know, talks in these big ideas, he's got all these ideas about, he calls it strategic autonomy, that the European Union needs to be more on its own and be more um, resourceful and, you know, not be dependent on other blocs or other countries. Yes. Um, but, I, I mean, this is a very French idea that he's promulgating. He's obviously a very important figure. And I think France has become much more important since the end of, of Merkel. Yes. You know, she was very much, um, you know, the queen of Europe. She was the person Obama called when, when he called Europe. Um, now, I don't think Schultz is occupying that same territory as she did. Um so France, I think, is so much more important than it was when I was in Brussels before for the Irish Times, and I'm back in my second stint, and I see that as a huge difference, the dominance of France. But um, on that, yes, I think the biggest issue there is that the Americans have been more... What they're basically saying to Brussels, to people in Brussels quietly is, you know, you missed the warning signs with Russia, you built up this dependency on Russian gas, and you put your head in the sand. Yes. Don't do the same about China. That's kind of what their message is. Now... For Europe, it's more complicated, as it is, in fairness, to uh, and Russia. I mean, Europe was always more dependent on Russia's economy and more interdependent than America was. So it was always going to be more hard for, for Europe to break those ties. But on China, a lot of businesses, French, I mean, uh, uh, Macron himself had, had 
business people who are making deals in, in China. Like a European business does do business in China. The German uh, industries are have a huge presence in, in China and they are worried about damaging that, frankly. But yes. the Americans on the other side are saying, well, you're doing that at your peril because, you know, if this escalates, you know, you will be cutting them off. You know, there will be sanctions on China. Where will you be then? So, um, so he was, Macron was articulating this view that he doesn't want Europe to get dragged into a war that's not it, not its war, and, uh, you know, if that was to happen. Um, but the Americans would say, you know, if that happens, Europe will have to take a stance and will take some kind of a stance in terms of trade and sanctions, that kind of thing. Um, but it, it, he, it, the fact that he sometimes feels like he speaks for Europe, I think, is, is a problem for a lot of countries around the EU table. Okay, let me quote another historical figure for you. Stalin, when he was told that the Vatican was unhappy about something or somebody he was murdering, he replied, how many battalions does the Vatican have? And I want to ask you about the European Union's ability to develop in this new geopolitical situation we're seeing emerging. And it's not just Russia and China, it's India, it's the Saudis, it's Iran. I mean, there is sort of a crystallization now of clusters of countries. There is no, for example, it would be hard to argue that democracy is the favoured road for many nations now and many powerful governments. In all of that, Suzanne, is there any discussion or idea lurking in Brussels that we need some battalions, guys? Well, there is. I mean, it's it's an uncomfortable subject for Ireland. It's a very. <laughs> um, but there is undoubtedly, the big talk now in Brussels is about defence and what they're calling a defence union. And France is very much leading this. But yes. a lot of countries are. So you used to have, um, there were six EU members that weren't a member of NATO. Now we're getting down to four because Finland and Sweden are joining NATO. And that solely as a result of, of Russia's in, yes. invasion of Ukraine. So Ireland is now a dwindling number of countries that are not in, in NATO. Now, in saying that, like the EU is not a military alliance and there are limits. Well, Ireland certainly has kind of opt-outs and, it, it, you know, we, we got all these uh, different agreements during all the different treaties we had to vote on. But it is undoubtedly the case that most European countries are quite happy to get to work for, further on defence. That's what they want. So um, that's progressing. However, it's like everything in the EU. You've got the 27 countries to keep happy. And like, for example, I'm, I'm sounding like I'm France bashing today. But again, this week, there's a debate about um, they're talking about common, like uh, trying to source weaponry together instead of each country using their own weapons, let's all do it together, the EU. But, for example, you've got certain countries with huge defence industries, like France, for example, and it wants, now there's a a small row going on about, like, well, what about, you know, should we allow non-EU companies to kind of bid for the contracts? And, of course, France doesn't want that because it wants their own companies. So it's amazing when you actually get into the detail that everyone is protecting their own interests. And also, you've got the issue that a lot of countries are quite happy with NATO. They kind of say, well, hang on, NATO is doing that. That's NATO's job. So why is the EU getting into this? If Donald Trump or a Republican is elected in the United States as president next year, NATO may well become a dead duck. Yes. Because yeah. I know you will remember, as most people do, how contemptuous of NATO Donald Trump was. Yeah. And 
there's every reason to believe that unless Joe Biden is elected again, which is a long shot at the moment, mm. the United States may ab- adopt a basically an isolationist position. Where yeah. would that leave Europe? Are people asking that question? They are. I mean, you're absolutely right that I think Europe got caught, like a lot of people in the world, uh, with the Trump election. And, you know, all of a sudden its ally in America was no, was, was an isolationist. Yes. And, and they were left on their own. And, and the sense that the war in, in Ukraine is so close to Europe's borders, uh, you know, the EU's borders, it, it's bringing it home. It's kind of, in a way, ironically, given NATO this new lease of life, that NATO, you know, was set up as a... As a as a bulwark against um, yes. the war, back, you know, against Russia, and here it is, and it's back to that very problem again: Russian aggression. So, um, I think it has. I think that there've been huge changes in Germany, for example. I mean, Germany is so interesting in terms of defense because, for obvious reasons, because yes. of its history, it was reluctant to take this leadership role in, in defense and military matters. And um, but, and it, but it is the biggest country in the EU. And we've seen a big change now with huge defence spending by the Germans and the German public are kind of behind that now. So that's been very interesting. Yes. So I think things have changed. The war has changed things in that all countries now are prepared to spend more on defence. A lot of those, those NATO countries, they kind of realise we'll be better because even if they're, they're, too, they're, they're sending different equipment to Ukraine, but then they want to replenish their own stocks. So they actually need, you know, they need to spend more. So I think there's kind of public buy-in for that in most countries. Now, you still have um, in, in certain countries, in Spain and Italy, you know, you've people questioning this. You've got, a, you know, left-wing parties in particular, and indeed, actually, far-right parties in some cases, and making the case, well, why are we fighting this war? And, you know, is, is this right for our country, etc.? But on the whole, uh, most governments in Europe are prepared to spend more in defence than they were before the Ukraine invasion. But you're absolutely right that that is a major problem for Europe. The whole NATO, transatlantic alliance, like America sold the, the, the outsized partner there. And they they need them. Uh, but this is part of Macron's argument. He's like, well, we can't be dependent on America. We need to have our own, you know, we need to be able to look after ourselves. That's kind of his idea. But but as you say there, like the reality of, of having the resources or having the political will or having just the history of having a big defense, it, it, part, you know, union, I don't think is, is a realistic prospect really. Yes. And of course, France is the only nuclear power now that Britain has left mm-hmm. the European Union. Just a final question, Suzanne, about the polls in particular. They have been very militant in supporting Ukraine and they have, of course, recent history. Poland and Hungary are, in some ways, aren't they, at odds with what might be called the values of the EU in terms of the rule of law, censorship, and indeed the rights of gay people and others. Can the EU contain Poland and Hungary? And how big a test of Ursula von der Leyen is this problem of two powerful nations, nations with real history, defying Brussels and being punished financially in the case of both countries, actually Poland in particular at the moment? I think it's a huge issue, Eamon. I really do. I mean, and and Poland in particular is important because it's a huge country. It's one of the biggest countries in the EU. They yes. can't ignore it. No, and no. They've, they've, they've kind of got the moral high ground rightly since the Ukraine invasion because they have they were you know leading the charge in terms of trying to help Ukraine and, and they were warning people in Brussels about the threat posed by Putin and nobody was really listening. So, you know, they, they very much 
were, um, they've been on the ascendant in the last year. But I think what's worrying, and this feeds into what we started talking about, the, enlarging the EU to include Ukraine. It's the, the, the reason a lot of countries were put off the idea of enlarging the EU was precisely because that's once countries like Poland and Hungary got into the club, they started throwing out the rule book and yes. they started bringing in these anti-LGBT laws or, you know, issues around the judiciary and media freedom. That's a huge issue, issue in Hungary, the control of media, yes. all these problems. So, you know, people start saying, well, hang on. What, you know, are we, are we going to absorb these countries that are not playing by the rules, frankly? Or yes. even things like climate change. You know, they have a very different view of that a lot. And I know I'm probably stereotyping to an extent, but it is true that it's, you know, a lot of the Central Eastern European countries who are more dependent on coal, etc., don't agree with the direction that the, that the EU is going. And the EU is kind of a leader, relatively, in terms of climate change. So that is a problem. And I think what's very worrying, and one to watch, like, with, later in the year with Poland's elections, what you're seeing creep in is this anti, kind of like a Brexit-style blame Brussels yes. for everything. Yes. So Viktor Orban is absolutely, he trolls Brussels on, on Twitter, the European Commission. Like, yes. he loves... We hear from people that when he's in the meetings with the EU leaders, he's quite quiet and quite nice. But when he's going into the meetings and the cameras are on, he's like, I'm standing up to Brussels. He's also very and, friendly with Putin. Yeah, exactly. So he'd be one of the countries that are kind of questioning the support, the sanctions a bit. So, you know, I think they, they, they thrive on this. And this setting up Brussels as the bogeyman, you know, the, the European Commission are making us do this. or That's worrying because that's... That, that ended up in Brexit. And I just wonder, in 20 or 30 years' time, could we be in a similar situation? So I think the EU doesn't know. It's kind of been ignoring Viktor Orban and hoping he's going away. He's not going away. He was re-elected last year, easily. Um, and I do think they don't know how to handle it. And it is an issue. But I think it's definitely changed the debate around enlargement. And will and actually, I think one of the fears, and people won't really say this, was is that Poland is such a big supporter of Ukraine that if Ukraine was to join, you'd suddenly have this big block, like a very, very, I don't know how many yes. million, tens of millions 44 people. 44 million people in Ukraine at the yeah. moment. Yeah. And Poland, these two big countries, then all of a sudden would be like these, you know, would be aligning on all these issues and could have a blocking, you know, minority in some files or, you know, so I think people are a bit uncomfortable about that. Some of the older members of the EU over the West are like, "Mm, do we really want that? Like it's shifting East and do we want it? So, yeah, I think it's a big issue for the EU about those. But look, who knows? The Polish elections are this year. We could have a different government in. Donald Tusk, who used to be the head of the European Council, or Charles Michel, the Polish Prime Minister, uh, he's his party now is trying to trying to win in this election. LA this year is much more pro EU, so the country seems to be very split there. But uh, but yeah, definitely a worrying trend. Okay, Suzanne, I'm very grateful to you for joining us. Suzanne Lynch is chief Brussels correspondent of Politico, and we're extremely grateful to her for that view of what's happening in Europe. Also grateful to all of you li- who listened. That's all we have time for now. We'll talk to you soon. sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50% to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.